Bible Worm, Bible Worm, reading the Bible with Bible Worm. Welcome to Bible Worm, getting to the core of the biblical text. I'm Dr. Amy Robertson, Director of Lifelong Learning at Congregation Or Hadash in Sandy Springs, Georgia. And I'm Dr. Robert Williamson, Professor of Religious Studies at Hendricks College and Theologian-in-Residence of Canvas Community in Little Rock. We're here every week to discuss the biblical text, both as biblical scholars and as people of faith, one Jewish and one Christian. This week, we're reading the story of God giving the Ten Commandments to Israel as told in Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 8, and 20, verses 1 through 21. We draw out the idea that God has been calling these people out of Egypt and through the wilderness in order to make them a treasured possession among all the peoples on earth. We think about God giving the Ten Commandments to the people and to us to show the importance of integrity and fidelity in relationships with God, with each other, and with ourselves. And we marvel at the nature of God, 1,000 parts compassion to four parts judgment. That's the recipe for a covenanted life with us humans who try and fail and try again. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Bobby, how are you? Hey, Amy, I am doing, I'm doing well. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I'm, I'm doing, here I am. Somehow I started doing this thing where I'm like, people are like, hey, how are you? And I'm like, I'm doing okay. It's like it starts out super enthusiastic, and then it's just like, meh. And then people always are like, what are you talking about? I don't know how I, but I feel like it's true. I feel like it's true to to who I am. (laughs) Like I'm overly enthusiastic, and then I'm like, eh, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I, I mean, there is always the question of whether one should answer that question honestly. Yeah. Or just say they're fine. Yeah. What do you... Let me ask you. Hey, Amy, how are you today? <laughs> um, I had a pretty good. I had a pretty good day. Oh, right on. Pretty good day. Yeah. Um, I feel. I don't know why I feel the need to tell people this, but I do. So here it goes. We actually tried to record this a few days ago, <laughs> and the two of us, each in our own special way, were just such a mess. Such like, a mess. We didn't. Ha- I prepared the wrong text. And you didn't bring your, like, the equipment you needed and you had borrowed it. And we, I mean, we just were like, we we were, we're going to try again. We're trying, (laughs) we're trying again. Take two. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, this week we are reading from the book of Exodus. We are reading part from verse, uh, we are reading part from chapter 19, verses 1 through 8. And then chapter 20, verses 1 through 21, we have expanded a little bit the narrative lectionary from where it was just to kind of, I don't know, flesh out a little bit of context around the core. And I should also note, if anyone is reading from the um, NJPS translation, there is a difference in the versification between the, I don't know, what would I say, like the the Protestant or the, the Christian traditions of translation? And the Jewish traditions of translation, so um, so it's it's it doesn't go quite as far in the versification in the 
Jewish translation. You'll catch makes, on. Don't worry. It it's going to be great. Every once in a while, it. you'll be like, Bobby, this text is crazy. And it, tur- it usually turns out that there's a versification difference in the traditions that we're using. And so mm-hmm. you're, the it, the uh, narrative lectionary is always following like the NRSV or whatever, like the Christian Septuagint-based translation. And then every once in a while, the Hebrew is tradition is wildly different. And so you'll be like, why are we in it in the middle of a sentence? (laughs) (laughs) What's happening? Uh, We should probably check in. Probably check in once in a while. But anyway. Well, today's reading includes the Ten Commandments. Yes. You know, we've talked about the Ten Commandments once before on Bible Worm. I think it was the Deuteronomy version, though, maybe. And it was like the least downloaded episode of all the episodes we have ever done. The least I, popular episode in the history of Bible Worm. And we've had some unpopular episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't I don't know why they want to put this in every year. People don't really like it. Do you like it, people? Please let us know. It's gonna be amazing to today us. though. So, you know, it it's, is. we're gonna we're gonna rock these You're ten commandments. Rock your world. Ten commandments. Okay. So when we left off, it was just a couple chapters ago, the Israelites were crossing the sea. Is there anything we need to know to get us from there to where we're starting? They've made it through the Red Sea. They've kind of walked across the wilderness. And we're going to see in verse one that it's been three months or so since they, mm-hmm. third new moon, whatever that, yeah, two and a half months, a couple months yeah. uh, since they have left Egypt, and now here we are on Sinai. It does remind, like you and I, every once in a while, while talk about the worst sign ever that God gives Moses on uh, in Exodus three at the burning bush, and God says, <laughs> "This will be a sign that I'm really with you." Is when all of this stuff has taken place, you'll go to Sinai, and I'll meet you there. So this is actually the culmination of that sign. That's helpful context. Once you're already there, you don't really need to know that. Yeah, it's you don't turn need out the fine. sign anymore. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, then should I just jump in? Yes. All right. So I am picking up in chapter 19, verse 1 in the NJPS. On the third new moon after the Israelites had gone forth from the land of Egypt, on that very day they entered the wilderness of Sinai. Having journeyed from Rephidim, they entered the wilderness of Sinai and encamped in the wilderness. Israel encamped there in front of the mountain, and Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob, and declare to the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to me. Now then, if you will obey me faithfully and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. Indeed, all the earth is mine, but you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the children of Israel. Moses came and summoned the elders of the people and put before them all that the Lord had commanded him. And the people answered as one, saying, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses brought back the people's words to the Lord. I kind of feel like they didn't read the fine print. <laughs> I'm gonna say more. I don't know. They agreed really quickly. It's not oh, yeah, that's clear true. to me that's what they're agreeing to. They're like, sure. I mean, yeah. maybe it just doesn't tell us what they're agreeing to. It's interesting whether the all these words is like 
Yeah. You know, what words? Anticipating like yeah. the next four biblical books that are to come or whether it's just he said like, you're going to be a nation, treasured nation. And they're like, yeah, let's like, do yeah. that. <laughs> I mean, that's the, like, this is, yeah. my spouse is a fine print reader. Uh, it's like she will literally read every word of everything that she ever signs. And so like when we sign our mortgage, I'm like, sure, like we got to sign this paperwork to like get our house. So like sign. And then she read yeah. the like, like 80 pages of legal whatever. And so like, I'm like, I feel like I'm probably like one of these Israelites who's like treasure. I'll be a treasure. Like, let's do that. I know. And your spouse would have been like, can you tell me more about what exactly? Let's discuss these what are we curses in Deuteronomy to? 28. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Okay. But going back to the beginning. So you already have pointed out third new moon. So it's been, you know, two, three months later, something like that. So I was trying to do that math, Amy, because right. It's been 50 days. Isn't that what we, isn't that what we decided? <laughs> like talking about Shavuot and talking about oh. Pentecost and so I was trying yeah, to do that math. So. The third new moon, I guess, is the, yeah. So I guess, I mean, Passover is 15th of Nisan. And so then you have a full moon like two weeks after that. And then you have another full moon four weeks after that. Mm-hmm. So it's been like six, six yeah, weeks. 49 days, 49 days. Yeah. Works. yeah. That was Very, a lot. That was a lot of discussion about. about that what, was excellent moon math, Bobby. Moon a math. Plus on your yes. moon math. So this is what, I wasn't thinking about moon math. I was thinking about. Like how long they've been in the desert since yeah. this big thing happened and yeah. what had what had happened to them sort of during that time? Like they have been getting manna, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So they have had some kind of daily reminder of of God's presence, but nothing like what ha- like nothing so big and showy as what happened right. the crossing of the sea. Has has anything really been asked of them at this point other than, I mean, I guess there are rules about the manna. I just, this is like a big transitional moment. No, I think that's important to recognize. Like this is a very young people. I mean, you were talking about the crossing of the sea as a birth story last Mm -hmm. time. And so like, they're like a little six week old baby people. This is like, yes, this is like the fourth trimester. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we talked about that Exodus 16, the manna text last year. And mm-hmm. I really loved that conversation. But the people start wishing they could go back to what they knew. And so God says, here, I'll do this miracle for you. And the miracle is the the dew, uh, the bread dew every morning. And we talked about how that's such an understated miracle when you compare it to the like dr- drama of what just happened coming out of Egypt. That like, here's enough fairly, you know, like... It's not fancy food, but it's food to get you through. And so that idea that the people are adjusting to like smaller miracles and like God's uh, constant providence instead Mm -hmm. of like the miraculous thing. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I don't think they probably 100% trust it just yet, or at least it would Mm -hmm. be hard to imagine that they could, having been enslaved for so long and this this relationship with God is so new. And then, yeah, I mean, here come... Like, I'm going to make a covenant with you and make you the most important people in the world. Like, it's it's a very dramatic kind of moment. Yeah. It's like a childhood TV star. No, it's not <laughs> like a childhood TV star. I just keep, I keep thinking of them as like these little babies who are being like spoon-fed yeah. manna. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's, they're, they're going to agree to some big stuff in here. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> they're going to agree to some big stuff. Bobby, you pointed out before that when 
when Moses is talking to God in the burning bush, I actually didn't remember this, that was there a mention of Sinai at that point or just? Well, God says you will come back here and worship me on the mountain. Ah, yeah. So there kind of is, if not, you know, if not by name. Yeah. So the, in that text, it's Horev. Yeah, sure. Which is where the burning bush is. But yeah, I mean, I feel like it is, this moment was anticipated all the way back in Exodus 3, in the very call of Moses, I think. I just love that layer of this. And I, I, don't think I had ever really thought about it before, but the idea of God, you know, we have to be careful with the idea of God being located in a particular place. But if we can just try on that metaphor for a moment, the idea that like God has been drawing the people Godward, (laughs) you know, all this time, yeah, you know, bringing them on Eagle's wings. I don't know. That's, I'm finding that, I'm finding that very, Powerful. No, because the the events in between that promise and this fulfillment have seemed very, I was going to say tenuous, just like it's not Mm. obvious how that story is going to turn out if you're a character in that story. You know what I mean? Yes. Struggle between God and this God you haven't really known and Pharaoh. But the whole thing has been, you know, this has been the plan the whole time and God has known this fulfillment was going to happen. So, yeah, I really love that. Yeah, no, I I like that a lot too. And and that, you know, the kinds of battles that have been happening are so like epic level, you know, battles between these different ideas of what is divine in the world, you know, this, like just so epic. Yeah. And then having that all sort of placed in the context of a very grounded, I will bring you to me. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just really... Yeah. I love that contrast. I love that too. I I wonder about this. You know, God says it here. I lifted you up on eagle's wings and brought you to me. Mm. Like that was not exactly how how that (laughs) happened. Like, you know, like I'm thinking about those Israelites who had to face the Egyptian army and then had to walk through the sea with the water on both sides and they had Mm -hmm. to go through the wilderness and they got it. And now they've been walking for like six weeks. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Attacked by the Amalekites. Mm Mm-hmm. And so like, I just, there's a little contrast there between what God sort of says, like, oh yeah, I just flew you out here and what they've actually gone through. And I was trying to think of theologically about that. If, you know, Mm. because God has always been on their team, maybe it is like, this really has been a safe and known journey. But I don't think it seemed that way to the people who yeah. were who were making the journey. Mm, I love that. I'm gonna have to think about that a little longer. When the text says that you will be for me a kingdom of priests, yeah, and and, and all the other sort of words around that that you know a treasured what is it a treasured possession? How do you understand? the relationship of God and Israel vis-a-vis the relationship of God and everyone else. Because it's not, this is not saying that God doesn't have a relationship to everyone else. No, that's right. Because immediately God says, all the earth is mine. Yeah. So you will become a treasure. All the earth is mine. And so, no, I think that's, I think that's important. And we talked about this all the way back in the Abraham story 
about how I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Mm. There has always been this sense in this text that God is choosing Israel as a way of blessing the world. And so they're going to be the special people. They're going to be the covenant people. They're going to be the prized people. But that's not the end of that story. That's the beginning mm. of something. And so you'll, you'll be a nation of priests. To me, that, that's one way of understanding what that means is Israel performs the sort of, is the intermediary between the nations and God in the way that the priests are the intermediary between the people and God, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so the goal of Israel then is to sort of show the world what God is like or something like that. That's kind of mm -hmm. what I do with it. What what do you do with that imagery? I think I'm thinking about it pretty similarly. For me, it just was really, it was helpful to think, you know, I, I would never read the the biblical text and say your average Israelite doesn't have any relationship to God just because they're not a priest. Like, yeah, the mm. priests had a particular right, right. job, right. but it wasn't that the other Israelites were not important yeah. or like, it was sort of like the whole point of the Israelites, uh, sorry, the whole point of the priest's job was to serve God, but also to serve the people, you know, in that intermediary way, as you're saying, that a lot of people in the Jewish community and my Jewish community struggle tremendously with the idea of chosenness and, yeah. you know, set that I, one of the congregations I belong to actually changes the words of the blessings that we use. So cho the whole idea of chosenness is taken out because it sounds like chosen instead of, or right. chosen, you know, chosen above chosen because you're better. And that's, that's not such a useful mm theological concept, but it, I don't know. It was helpful to me this time reading the kingdom of priests hmm. because of course priests are not superior. They're right. They just have a particular job. Right. No, I think that's right. And I'm one of the things, like, I love the fact that you are part of communities. Like this is such an Amy thing to be that doesn't want to think about chosenness because I feel like a lot of people, that's exactly what they want. They they want to be, they want to know they're special, more special than other people. Mm. And I, like, I, I, I mean, what you're saying, I think it's exactly right. That the, the notion of chosenness over or instead of is a problematic, troubling. And so this idea of chosen on behalf of, I think that, I think that's a really nice, a really nice way of framing it. Okay, and then we already have noted that the people assent to this really quickly. We're not totally sure how much information they've gotten before they assent, right. but they are excited. They are. Everything that the Lord has spoken, we shall do. Yeah, they're ready to go. And yeah. Yeah. I hope uh, they still you feel that be. way when we finish reading this. Hmm? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you just think about like what God has done for them, setting them free from captivity and bringing them across the Red Sea and bringing them through the wilderness and all of these things, like it makes sense that they're ready. Like we we have they've seen what God can do, and so they're they, mm -hmm. they want to be a part of this thing. Then it's going to be turn out to be quite a demanding thing that they're asked. Yeah. Is there anything else you would like to add? On this introductory section. I don't think so. 
and we have no choice but to continue <laughs> into the Ten Commandments. Okay, and I should not say that. I shouldn't admit it, but I'm going to. At in religious school, my religious school started this week, the children's program, and the the seventh grade class was talking about mitzvot commandments, and the teacher asked them how many commandments are there. The correct answer is 613. Right. But the first thing one of the kids in the class said was five. And she was like, oh, come on. You have got to know there are 10. Like Five. You must know there are 10. That's amazing. There are five. Yeah. Yes. We can pick the best five <laughs> yeah. from our list. Okay. So I am picking up then in chapter 20, beginning at the very beginning. First one. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods besides me. You shall not make for yourself a sculptured image or any likeness of what is in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am an impassioned God visiting the guilt of the parents upon the children, upon the third and upon the fourth generations of those who reject me, but showing kindness to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not swear falsely by the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not clear one who swears falsely by his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or daughter, your male or female slave, or your cattle, or the stranger who is within your settlements. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. Okay. When this text says at the beginning, Bobby, you shall have no other gods besides me. Yeah. Like I'm thinking about the historical moment that they're in and the the world that they are coming from. Yeah. Where there are many gods. Yeah. Do you read this as a statement of monotheism or, you know, there's another word, monolatry, which is acknowledgement that there are other gods, but you can't worship them. Right. I mean, I think at the end of the day, I probably don't read this as a statement of pure monotheism. I read this as God acknowledging that there are other gods that one could worship. Mm. And so Mm. given that those gods are there, you should only worship me. No other gods besides me. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, I think you could then think through if you wanted to, like, are there actually other gods who have the status of gods? Maybe no. Mm -hmm. Maybe yes. I don't know. But clearly there are gods that are claimed by other peoples. And so if you are thinking about the gods of other peoples, whether they're real gods or not real gods, you should only worship me. Mm Mm-hmm. So I don't know that it, to me that it really, at the end of the day, is urgently important whether this is a monotheistic or polytheistic claim mm-hmm. amongst mm-hmm. your options, whatever they might be. I'm the one you worship. Is kind of kind of how I read it. What do you think yeah. about that? No, that's really helpful, and I think 
I think you've helped me refine what I'm trying to get at, which is not quite like, does the text really believe there are other gods or just acknowledge that some other people believe there are other gods? Yeah. I think what I'm interested in is like, it's just what a big transition it would have been for a people yeah. who has been sur- who have been surrounded by a polytheistic view of the world yeah where people might have relationships to many different gods or there might be gods for different things that like the way that maybe we have different friends some of them are good listeners and some of them like to go bowling with us and so like <laughs> yeah. whatever like you have different Rela- you have relationships to different gods, like you have relationships to different people. Yeah. And and now this God, the God of Israel, is telling them they have to put all their eggs in this one basket right. and they can't like shop around for better better deals on individual issues. Like right. you have to take this whole package and whatever God gives you on every issue is what you get. Yeah. That's really well said. I I, I like I appreciate that a lot. The other thing to me that's helpful in this conversation is if you reframe it from are there actually other gods that are gods that are in fact gods to are there other entities that claim godly godlike status for themselves, mm-hmm. then suddenly that becomes a relevant question for us too. Totally. And so then you start to think, what, who does claim ultimacy? Who does claim that they are the final word on things? Who does claim that? Only by following them can you be successful or thrive or, or whatever. And now you can start to name all kinds of things that aren't, aren't gods in a religious sense, but they are gods in the sense of claiming themselves to be ultimate truths. Mm-hmm. Like the wor- world is kind of populated by gods if you define them that way. Yeah. And then this text suddenly comes into exactly like you said, comes into sharp focus of you can't pick and choose which of those claims toward ultimate reality you're going to follow in what situation but you you've got to be all in with with the god of israel that makes it sound like a much bigger ask (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) or or a much bigger like uh you know i was gonna say shift for the people in the text but like also for us that yeah 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 we are we are pretty accustomed to or i should say i am pretty accustomed to this sort of like cafeteria style. Yeah. You know, I hope I don't like to, I don't like the phrase cafeteria style religion, but there, yeah, it's, um, the idea that you have to be all in on one is, um, is challenging. challenging. Yeah, absolutely. It is. But I wonder with this context, it's sort of feeding into the way now that I'm thinking about God as a, does your translation say impassioned God or does it say jealous God? It says, so I'm reading Robert Alter's translation this week Mm. and it says jealous God. Yeah. I'm not sure I love impassioned. Yeah. I kind of like jealous too. Can you say, can you say why? Well, I feel like that I feel like there is just in this conversation that we're having an awareness that that there are actually lot the people do actually have choices and and God what God is asking is that 
I mean, God's going to ask right now, like make a decision now, but also every time, like you're going to have to make it over and over again. Like asking for this kind of loyalty from the people when there are all, there's this worldview with all these other gods in it. I could see that. This is, I'm sure this is the wrong word, but I could see that feeling sort of threatening almost, or like, Mm -hmm. you know, that you, you have to constantly worry about people's loyalty to you because it will always be so tempting to, to go with whatever's going to give you the answer you want to an individual issue that pops up. Like there will always be some force that will give you the answer you want. Right. And God is asking people not to, to pay no attention to that. Like just block it out. I don't know. I think that, I think that would lead to a a generally jealous existence. Mm. Yeah. I like the translation jealous too, for similar reasons. I think that, that God, God has skin in the game as the saying goes. Yeah. God has chosen to commit to Abraham. God has chosen to commit to this people. Like God has put God's own reputation on the line. And so to think that after you've done all this stuff for people, that they're gonna give somebody else the credit. Like I kind of I kind of get that. It it personalizes God a little bit for me in ways that I think I don't know if they're theologically might be problematic if you're a, you know if you follow all the philosophical omnis of, you know, omniscient, omnipotent and impassable Mm -hmm. and whatever. But I think it's true of the character of the God of the Bible that God does have some kind of emotional investment in the, in the process. Yeah. No, I think that's right. How do you think these things that we've talked about so far are related to this imperative not to swear falsely by God's name? Yeah, that that has increasingly become one of my most favorite commandments. You know, I learned it as uh, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And when I was a kid, I was told that like, don't that means like don't use four letter words or whatever, which I mean, okay. But what it really means is don't lift up the name of God for things that are not worthy of God. And when you put it that way, and I think about all the things that people invoke God about, that God does not want to be invoked about. Like, don't don't invoke God flippantly. And then that makes that commandment more difficult, Mm -hmm. but I think also more important that we don't just toss around the name of God about stuff, but we've got to make sure that when we call God's name, we're doing it in in a way that is about things that are truly, truly important. That I feel like that just adds a whole other level to what I was thinking before about how hard it would be to transition from having all these different, this idea that there were all different gods that you could call upon. Now it's saying there's only one God you can call upon yeah. and don't play y'all. Yeah. Like don't play. Yeah. Yeah. That fourth trimester is really over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we we talked a little bit before we started recording about whether to include the commandment about the Sabbath day in this section or whether to read it yeah. separately. It's um yeah, it I don't know, it's kind of a it's kind of a transition. How do you 
how do you, I don't know, how do you understand the relationship between, you know what, I'm going to start with this other question. You said you love the commandment for the Sabbath day. Mm. So let me just start you there. Yeah. What do you love? I mean, this, the idea of Sabbath is just such a beautiful idea. And the grounding of it in God's resting, even in the process of creating the universe, I think is, as it's done here, mm-hmm, is particularly mm-hmm. powerful to say that there is something inherent in the universe that requires rest and that even God in the process of creating the world doesn't have to be working 24 seven. That for me living in the culture that I live in, having the job that I have, I being a Protestant, like coming up with a Protestant work ethic about your value is in the labor that you do. Mm-hmm. I just feel like that's such an invitation to step outside of the world of constant productivity that's always demanding more and more and more and to say, no, you know what? Rest is important. It's important to God and it's important to pause and worship God, but also it's important for us as human beings who belong to communities and families and who just are people who get tired to take a, to take a break uh, to me, this is why like the, the Sabbath commandment leans to the God half of the 10 commandments on the one hand, like do this mm-hmm. because God did, God also did it and you need to worship God, but it also leans toward us and the, you know, you, you need to rest. I have a lot, I have a hard time resting and I've been really this semester, uh, for the first time, I'm very intentionally, I'm what I'm doing is I'm observing the time period of the Jewish Sabbath. Cause my wife is a pastor. So mm-hmm. Sunday's not Sabbath for us, but from sundown on Friday until sundown on Saturday, I don't work. And I, I found it so helpful and also enormously difficult, but mm-hmm. it makes my life better to realize things, things are okay, even if mm-hmm. I don't work all the time. Mm, I love that. I didn't know that you were I didn't know you were laying, <laughs> laying fallow. You're not exactly laying fallow. You have two little people at home, yeah. but that you are trying to put aside uh, work, work. I am. That's it's hard. Nice. Like, I feel like I could work yeah. all the time and yeah. just choosing not to do it. Yeah. What's your relationship to the Sabbath commandment? It is, it is ever evolving. I think at the moment where I'm really feeling it is, you know, sort of in relationship to our, to our last conversation about the, the different forces in the world that may seem godlike to us in our modern time. I think some of, some of those are, you know, related to productivity. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And so I'm seeing the Sabbath lately as as a really intentional way to reorient away from that, even yes. if the other six days I am oriented that way to say, like, if, if you can't stop, if you can't stop working for it, 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 it becomes like a, like a form of slavery. Yeah. You know, if, if you can't change your relationship to it. And so one day a week, we yeah. 
try to change our relationship to it. I mean, it's, I have sort of the opposite situation of you in some ways, maybe, I don't know that, that I, I am usually sort of working on the Sabbath, but we do a lot of things in our community to make it feel different. Like even Mm. though we're there and we're working, like I don't look at my email and I don't, you know, there are a lot of things we don't do in our religious school. We don't write and we don't, you know, like people can tell me things and I'm Mm -hmm. like, that's great, but you should really send me an email tomorrow because I'm not going to remember it and I can't write it down. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, we try not to do things that are very clearly practical ways to further some goal that's going to pick up again the next day. Like just let let the day be itself. And I do, I, I think there is great benefit to society to do this. And I think there is great spiritual benefit to it also, but it's hard. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you could be 14.2% more productive (laughs) if you work seven days a week. And so you could be 14.2% more successful. So the argument would go. Mm -hmm. And so choosing not to do that is, is in some sense, exactly saying there are more important things to me than being successful in the ways that, you know, productive society thinks we ought to be successful. And that's a hard, it's a hard choice to make. Yeah. That's a good commandment. It's a good one. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anything else that you want to draw out of that first set of commandments? Yeah. I mean, the only other thing that I, I'm just sort of drawn to in this section is back in verse five and six, when God's talking about being a jealous God. And then, and then God goes on to say, I punish children for their parents' sins, even to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but I am loyal and gracious to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. I don't know that I love that view of God, but it it's important in the Torah yeah. and, it, and it comes back time and again. And the, the the thing that seems important to me about it is God has both the capacity for punishment and the capacity for graciousness. Mm-hmm. And the ratio is 1,000 parts graciousness to four parts judgment or punishment. So God is enormously compassionate. But that doesn't mean that there is never any judgment mm-hmm. or punishment. Mm-hmm. I'm somebody who wants God to be like all graciousness all the time, but a God who is like that can't really correct situations of injustice in the world. Yeah. And so having a God who has both of those capacities, I think at the end of the day, as much as I don't like it is actually really important. And it's right there in the 10 commandments. Both of those things are, are aspects of God. Yeah, that's really important. And I love that you pointed out the the proportions of compassion versus judgment. Whenever I read this section, I <laughs> the first thing I think of, I don't know what this says about me, is that it must be that someone would be both the third or fourth generation from someone who had hated God and yeah. within the <laughs> thousandth generation of some. Yeah. So like, what is that? Like, the, they're that like stuck out? in this weird, yeah. you know, vortex. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe the rabbis address it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. Hi, everyone. It's Bobby here from the Bible Room Podcast. 
you find yourself listening to this episode thinking, man, I really wish I knew all of this stuff last week, have we got a deal for you. Maybe you're a pastor who wants to work a week ahead on your sermon. Or maybe you're a Bible nerd who wants to show off your Bible knowledge at the water cooler before everyone else has a chance to listen to the episode. Whatever the case, if you'd like to get early access to our episodes, you can join our Patreon at the early worm level or higher. You'll get access to every episode a week before it's available to the general public. You'll also get a truly amazing Bible worm sticker and the satisfaction of supporting a good cause. Oh, and you'll get ad-free episodes so you won't have to keep listening to messages like this one. Visit patreon.com slash Podcast for details. As always, thanks for listening to Bible Worm. And now, back to this week's episode. Okay. There are still more commandments to go. There are. are you ready for some more? I am. Okay, this is where the versification gets a little bit funny, but we're both starting in verse 12, right? Yes. Okay. Honor your father and your mother that you may long endure on the land that the Lord your God is assigning to you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female slave or his ox or his ass or anything that is your neighbor's. I love that the JPS keeps the word ass in there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's a bold move to do in the 21st century. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It does. We like to keep things interesting. I have heard the theory that that honoring your father and mother is placed in this place, like in this location among the commandments, Mm. because... And for a similar reason that we sort of hypothesize that the Sabbath is placed where it is, that it sort of somehow reaches toward God and also mm. toward Earth. What do you think of that theory? I do not like it. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I'm having trouble. I'm having trouble with it. Can I, I think I need you to spell it out for me. I think the idea is that because the parent metaphor is used frequently, that sort of that your parents are like your embodied godlike guardian on earth. Hmm. And so if you can't, and so you, by honoring your parents, it's sort of like a microcosm and a macrocosm okay. thing. Like, yeah, although even as I was saying that, I was like, well, but the God relationship is also portrayed as a romantic relationship. Like, it, they're just using human relationships because that's what they know. Yeah. Yeah. I think for myself, I think I probably tend to read this as we've shifted from the register of obligations toward God. Mm-hmm. toward obligations to community. And in, if you read it that way, then mother and father, family, but mother and father in particular, are kind of the closest human relationships. They're the, they're the ones that have been there since the very beginning of your life. Mm. So I, I do take that if you can't love your family, if you can't honor your parents, then like you don't have any chance of honoring anyone else and following the rest of these commandments. I don't know. Like I can see that sort of 
move, like they're the ones who teach you about God. But I don't, to me that I'm not sure I really want to go all the way there. No, but I like where you went and it's, and it's different. So it's one thing to say that like your, your parents are, are your closest people. So like we're starting this, what you used a nice word for this, that switches the tenor of the conversation, the register. I don't remember what I said. I'm sure it was good though. It was register. I think you said register. Tenor would be better. I like your word better. (laughs) That, that it starts with your closest people. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I think maybe I want to hold that alongside the idea that they are your closest people and they are, I mean, especially when you're a little kid, they are like gods to you. Like they control, they really control your world. Yeah. And maybe seem very powerful. And then over time, that may change. That's an interesting tension to hold in that relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm. There's also, you know, I've heard the, the idea that this is about respecting your parents, you know, in the family relationship. But I've also heard the idea that this is about commemorating, remembering your parents after they have died. Mm. keeping their memory alive, honoring Mm. their values and like making sure in a culture that does not yet believe in a literal life after death, that this is a way of tending to previous generations. I don't know which one of those is a better way of reading it. Like honor your parents while they're alive or tend to your parents' memory after they have died. Maybe it means both of those things. But I like that I like adding that second aspect that there is an obligation to the, to the family to carry on the traditions, carry on the teachings, the memory of those who have gone before. That really sounds like you're really making it sound like this is, this is like the social glue. Like this is, yeah. Connection, Mm -hmm. not just between you and your neighbors and your family, but also cross generationally. Yeah. 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 Remember who you are, I think, is, is a part of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the next series of commandments here, you and I discovered just before we hit record, are all thrown together in one verse in my translation, um, but are separated out into different verses. So the JPS has, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Is all one verse. And I I wonder if it's because it's written that way in my translation, but I felt drawn immediately to trying to like sort of zoom out a little bit and and yeah. think like what what is it that these are going for? Like mm-hmm. it seems like these are examples of some broader idea. Mm-hmm. What do you think it's going for? Yeah, no, I really, I really am enjoying this way of reading the text instead of taking the commandments one at a time. I, I appreciate that you've sort of led us through them in sections because it does reframe them in that way. Like to me, the connection, I, this, I don't know that this is very insightful, but to me, the connection is respecting the integrity of other people. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, do not murder is respecting their life. Do not commit mm-hmm. adultery is respecting commitments that one has made to other people. Not stealing is, you know, their stuff. Mm-hmm. 
testifying falsely as not manipulating justice in order to take away the rights of another person. And then obviously the covenant commandments are about honoring the things that belong to another. So it's just respecting the the integrity of another person, the value of another person's life and their possessions, their families. And if you could do, if you could actually do that, like that's a pretty good basis for establishing a community that's actually functional. There's a lot of details to work out. Yeah. But this seems like a pretty good baseline for just respect other people. Yeah. What connections do you see when you zoom out like that? I mean, I, 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 I loved hearing you talk about it because I think the connections I see are, are similar and it's a little bit hard to find, I don't know, the, the right language for, for how to describe those things. But I like, I think you use integrity, the integrity mm-hmm. of other people's existence, like right. their, their bodies, their relationships, their objects, their, their truth, like what is true in their life, what they have actually done or not done that, uh, that those things are worthy of respect. The other thing that that struck me as I was reading this, not all the way down the line, but especially with adultery and bearing false witness, mm. it kind of threw me back to the first half of the commandments where God is requiring, you know, God mm. says that God is a jealous God and insists on whatever it is, monolatry or whatever it is. It's, you know, God alone and then not not calling upon God's name in vain or however we want to talk about that. And it's just interesting to think, I mean, obviously our relationship to God is different than our relationship to other people. And yet there is some certain baseline, like just, yeah, integrity is a really good word for it. We have to be able to respect the integrity of other people. And in some ways I feel like it's, it's a little harder for me to wrap. I don't know what this says about me. It's a little harder for me to wrap my head around why that's so important in a relationship to God. Whereas it seems obvious to me why it's important in a relationship to other people, Mm -hmm. but it's helpful for me to go back and forth between the two. Like they sort of inform the other. I really like that, Amy. I I had not made that connection for myself and thinking about sort of fidelity and relationships to both God and other human beings. And that looks like doing certain things for them and not doing other certain things. And so then it becomes about relationship and about creating a life with both God and human and not simply a list of do's and don'ts. I think that's a really rich way of reading it. Is it worth saying anything else about coveting? I feel like coveting sort of fits in with the rest of the list, but... But oh, that's funny because I was just thinking exactly the same thing. Do we need to talk about coveting? <laughs> yeah. What do you do with coveting, Amy? I mean, coveting is just like coveting is happening in my own head, right? Yeah. And so all of these other things are very clearly causing harm to someone else. Yeah. What kind of harm does coveting cause? Like who does it harm or what kind of harm does it cause? That's exactly the right way to ask that question, Amy. And I, to me, that issue about all of these other things are external actions towards someone else. And this one, at least on the face of it, 
seems to be just about internal desire makes me think that we need to rethink what coveting is after here. Mm-hmm. There are lots of interpreters who think that coveting here means something like trying to desiring something to the point that you try to take it for yourself. Mm. The CEB's translation is actually do not desire and try to take. Mm. But it's not exactly for me the same thing as just stealing, right? So like you really like that purse that granny is carrying. So you rip it off her arm, whatever, (laughs) and run away. But it's a little more involved than that. So it's the kind of thing about, you know. It's like David and Bathsheba. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely that. Or something even more like, I I don't quite know. Like I'm I'm struggling with how to modernize it. And the thing that I'm coming up with is uh, I value my money more than I value the education that is offered to people in poor communities. And so I scheme about how to manipulate the tax code or the school zones so Mm. I can take that money back. And so they are deprived of something that is rightfully theirs. And I have managed to pocket the money or something like that. It's about it's about scheming about how to stack the decks so I get what I want and you don't get what you want. Hmm. I don't know that that, I don't know that it, like I might, sometimes I push a little far. Uh, no, I like that. As you know, but I think that makes it more salient to me. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know what coveting means, but I, I absolutely know that that is a temptation for me. Yeah. I like that a lot. I was, I don't know, I'm noodling around with, with whether there's a way to extend the idea of integrity mm. through coveting in a way that's like, I feel like, okay, tell me if I've gone off the deep end here, but that coveting someone, what someone else has in some way is not sort of like seeing your own, seeing the integrity of your own life and what oh. you have. Huh, I like that. Yeah. Because you're trying to make your life's something that it isn't you're evaluating your own worth based on what you see that someone else has which is not a valid measure i like that amy it's a little abstract i don't think that's actually what exodus is going for no but you know we often come up with things that are not really (laughs) what the text is going for like what what possible uh ideas does this text open up i think that's a really nice one yeah like Value what you have. Like, I mean, that the covenant is, I mean, the the Ten Commandments are saying that. The co- commandment is saying that. Like, value what you have and don't feel the need to wish for something someone else has. I think that's absolutely there. It's interesting because it makes it end almost in this, like, it's relationship to God and then relationship, and then it sort of crosses over towards, like, oh, yeah. God and society, and then it's society, and then it's society and yourself. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot, actually. And in some ways, it loops back around to the beginning, too, because be careful what you desire comes all the way back around to, like, remember who the real God is. Mm, That's right. It sort of connects all the way back around. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we have just a couple more verses that we're going to read through. 
But is there anything else you want to add before we do? No, I'm ready for the thunder and lightning. Okay. <laughs> I'm laughing because I, I think this next description, the sensory experience sounds like a roller skating rink in the 80s. <laughs> Try that on. Okay. All the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the blare of the horn and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they fell back and stood at a distance. You speak to us, they said to Moses, and we will obey, but let not God speak to us, lest we die. Moses answered the people, be not afraid, for God has come only in order to test you, but in order that the fear of him may be ever with you so that you do not go astray. So the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. Mm. Hmm. Can't you just feel the like, like you just ate a soft pretzel and had some <laughs> cola and the music yeah. is so loud that it's like <laughs> vibrating in your chest and you're not yeah. sure if you're going to throw up your pretzels. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm roller skating and I can't remember how to stop. <laughs> so <I'm> like <laughs> yeah. And there's like the lights flashing all over the place and, and it's yeah. really dark. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically My, what happened. At I totally see why that freaks them out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will never read this passage the same again. That's, I'm sorry. I don't know what happened that I thought of a roller skating rink. Do you think this was the desired response? <laughs> no. Uh, that's an inter- such an interesting question. And, we, you know, we were talking about before about relationship and how God really wants to be in relationship with the people. And here the people are just scared. <laughs> and are saying, okay, we'll do, we'll do what we're supposed to do, but we don't ever want to talk to you again. Mm-hmm. No, when you ask it that way, I think this is probably not what, what God was hoping for. What do you think about that? I don't want it to be the desired response. I mean, yeah. again, I told you I'm, I'm like in the middle of reading Deuteronomy. So yeah. there is this, like, I feel like there is throughout the, so much of the Hebrew Bible, there's this tension of uh, do people need to feel fear in order to mm. resist the temptation to do something else that in the moment would feel really good, you know, yeah. <laughs> to yeah, go yeah. follow another God or go yeah. do whatever is easy in the moment. So I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know in this case if it's, you know, M- Moses says God has come only in order to test you in order that the fear of him may be ever with you so you do not go astray. Yeah. I mean, that does make it sound purposeful, doesn't it? I mean, that's what Moses, that's Moses' yeah. impression of it. I'm not sure that it's, I mean, I'm sure I'm not supposed to say it this way, but <laughs> sometimes I think Moses presses that presses on the fear response a little more than um, than God does, even. Amy, does this make any sense to you? Or like, now that I'm looking at it again, because what Moses says is, do not fear. God's just trying to make you be afraid. Mm-hmm. So, what, so which is it? <laughs> do fear or do not fear? God's not coming to destroy you right now in this moment. God's just showing how powerful yeah. God is. Uh-huh. So, like, long range, yes, be afraid. 
But you're not so going to die in the next five minutes. <laughs> there's no cause for fear in this exact moment, but. <laughs> yeah. Yes, there's no immediate, immediate threat. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to do with the fact that this story ends with the people being so afraid. I mean, to circle back to where we started out and to say the people committed to some stuff a little bit flip flippantly. I don't know yeah. if it was flippant. It was just enthusiastic. And then now that they understand, and you know, you and I have commented several times in the in the conversation about the Ten Commandments, like that's a big ask, you know. Mm-hmm. And so suddenly it has occurred to them what they have committed to. And I think they're rightly concerned about whether whether they can actually do it. I don't know what the message there is exactly. You don't think they're just afraid of like the horn? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like I, mean, I don't I think know. It's if all a, just... To me, it's all a part of this whole. Yeah. Yeah. We have entered into a relationship with with somebody who can do this, and it involves a lot of difficult things that we don't have any experience doing. Yeah. And now that's the relationship that we're in. Yeah. You know, one of the things I've been teaching Judaism in my, one of my classes at Hendrix. And one of the things that comes very clearly in the liturgies, and I'm thinking about Avinu Malkenu, some of those prayers, it's so clear that at the end of the day, people can't live up to the promises that they have made to God. Mm-hmm. And so what we end up relying on is God's willingness to be compassionate and merciful towards us. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not sure this passage gets all of that, but I think this passage gets us close to that. The people have made some big commitments. They're not sure they can keep. God is big and powerful, and that is scary. And so what you're going to have to rely on is that God is a thousand parts mercy and compassion but I'm not sure they, that they know that yet. They haven't, they haven't figured that out yet. And so I think, I mean, I think in one sense, fear is the right response until you realize that God is compassionate and merciful. And then you should still be a little bit afraid. Yeah. Because God is under no obligation to be compassionate and merciful. God chooses to be compassionate and merciful. Like, I don't know. That's probably an over, over-theologization of that verse, but... I think there's something important there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I was thinking this afternoon, like, is, is there a way to reimagine this story? This is an imagination question. <laughs> is there a way to reimagine this story without the fear or, or not? You know, is the fear necessarily a bad thing? You know, and yeah. in in Hebrew and and you know maybe in English to a little bit less degree, like fear and awe are yeah are really just right up against each other. Yeah. So it's it's more a recognition that this entity has enormously more power yeah. <laughs> than you do, and that yeah. is true. Right, that is true. I often transpose fear into something like awesome reverence or something like that. Or mm-hmm. so it's not you it's not that you're supposed to be scared of God, but exactly yeah. you're supposed to tremble in God's presence because God is so much more yeah. than we can comprehend. Yeah. I feel like you you started already to lead us into what could be concluding thoughts, but before we officially go there, is there anything else you want to add on? 
Amy, I, I'll just say that we made a joke at the beginning about how we didn't want to read the Ten Commandments, and <laughs> like this is going to be our, our most unpopular podcast. I, don't, I mean, it might still be, but I will say that reading the Ten Commandments with you this way today has actually been really generative and productive for me, like taking them in sections. And sort of what I'm coming away with is at the end of the day, it's all about relationship and valuing the integrity of relationships with God and with the community. And depending on how we read the covenant, the coveting commandment at the end with our, with ourselves, like when you frame it that way, like the whole thing, the people have come out of Egypt and they don't know how to be a community together. And so what this is doing is establishing relationships, be in relationship with God, be in relationship with your parents, be in relationship with each other in ways that respect the integrity of all of those different characters. And don't be so focused at the core on being productive and being successful that you can't take the time to just appreciate the life that you have. Like, that is such a lovely idea, and I'm quite inspired by it today, even though some of it seems pretty difficult in terms of not, you know, putting other gods before God and not lifting up God for things that are not worthy of God. Like, there's some pretty big asks in here, but at the end of the day, it's just about respecting and honoring the relationships that you have with God and with each other. Like, I get why the people are nervous at the end because you're entering into a covenanted relationship with a God who is bigger than you can imagine. And that's a little bit scary. But that thousand parts compassion bit in the middle to me is what is what you lean on to say God is not entering into this relationship in order to, you know, call ticky-tack fouls and like punish you for things but because God genuinely wants to be in relationship. And so compassion is, is the overriding thing for God. And, and maybe it should be for us as well. So I don't know exactly what my takeaway is, but I, I mean, I feel like the recognizing the, the community that is possible with God and each other and ourselves, if we were mm-hmm. to actually do something along the lines of the Ten Commandments is, is enough for me this week. I really love that, Bobby. I love the way that you talked about sort of the formation of a community. And yes, this this gives us some very specific rules. And also if you think too hard about some of them, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, they get, they get pretty complicated. They do. I think my takeaway is, is somewhat similar is that, and maybe part of it is just that, you know, reading the 10 commandments so many times we, we need to look at it differently <laughs> You know, like we need to change the way we're reading it or it just gets, it's hard to, it's hard to hear it anew. But as you know, our, our communities are coming back, you know, from being away over summer or coming back, you know, after being away during um, the worst peaks of COVID or coming back to school. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I tell people all the time, like community life is hard. Yeah. it It's not, even if you understand the basic rules of it shouldn't be hard. Like the reality is, is that it is hard. It's hard yeah. not to covet things. It's hard not to be productive for a day when there are other people who are doing yeah. it. It's hard to 
you know, really hold before you that God is it. Yeah. And I feel like it's, you know, like they make this, have this big sort of moment here where they agree to do all this stuff, but it's the kind of thing you, that we have to decide to do every day in community because tomorrow some other issue is going to come up and we're going to have to do it again. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, I think my takeaway is your takeaway, Bobby. I'm just going to ride your coattails into the, (laughs) what do you ride the coattails into? Into the sunset? Into the sunset? I feel like, I don't know if you ride coattails into the sunset or not, but I can't (laughs) think of anywhere else that you would ride them too. So let's just do that. (laughs) Perfect. Ride coattails into the sunset. That was a beautiful, that was a beautiful metaphor to conclude. That's that's great. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, next week we jump a lot. This week we only jumped a couple of chapters. Next week we are jumping um, all the way past the end of the Torah to the last chapter of the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 24. We'll get a historical retrospective um, and another reminder of the covenant. I'm looking forward to that conversation. Yep. It'll be good. All right. It's always nice talking with you, Bobby. I'll see you next time. You too, Amy. See you then. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Bible Worm. If you've enjoyed this free podcast, we hope you'll help us keep it going by joining our Patreon for as little as $4 per month. You can also sign up for other goodies like early access, video lectures, weekly liturgies, and more. Visit patreon.com slash Podcast for details. Bible Worm is produced by Bobby Williamson and edited by Joel and Laura Becker. Our theme song is sung by Colin Bagby, and our theme music is The World at Large by Dano Songs. Many thanks to all our Patreon supporters for helping make this podcast possible. A special thank you to our newest supporters, Marion Boyle Roloff, Christy Dolan, Kathy Thompson, Julie Hoke, Hannah Lutz, Paul Baldwin, Kristen Capel, Eric Hoffer, Jackie Thone, Suzanne Steyerwalt, Amy Broadhurst, Susan Ray, Jay Robinson, Fiona Morrison, and Victor Booty Budoff. I hope you'll tune in again next time when we'll be reading from the book of Joshua, chapter 24. Until then, keep on